and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hey, I'm Bill Childs. My pronouns are he, him. I, uh, by day, I'm a lawyer for a big old company here in Minnesota, but I also do a children's music radio show and own a record label associated with children's music. Hi there, I'm Stacy Peasley. My pronouns are she, her. I am a singer, songwriter, performer, and early childhood music specialist in library schools, daycares, and I run my own music class program called Lucky Day Music. All right, fantastic. So thank you both for joining me. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about children's music and both of our guests' experience being part of the children's music scene, if you will. Um, But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? I I have a little stack of three books, little medium size and big. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. The World Cup is starting. I've been reading this book called Non-Goals by Bob Bjarke, B-J-A-R-K-E. What to look for when you're looking at soccer and it's basically how to watch soccer and be excited about stuff other than the goals. So oh. that's number one. Number two is a book called Science Fictions. One of my colleagues suggested it's nonfiction. Subtitle, How Fraud, Bias, Negligence, and Hype Undermine the Search for Truth. It's a lot about the peer review process in scientific literature and the failures of it and the inability to replicate a lot of the studies that you see. And then the third is fiction. It's called Wayward. It's Chuck Wendig, who is one of my favorite sort of horror fantasy writers. And it's a uh, sequel to his book Wanderers, which was a weirdly prescient uh, fiction book about a pandemic and a uh, larger-than-life narcissistic conservative politician taking advantage of it. And it was fiction, and it was written before the last two years. <laughs> How life can imitate fiction sometimes. <laughs> Indeed. We're a big soccer family, and I want to get the name of that book again, Bill, about the soccer, that first book you were talking about. Yeah, I'm like three chapters into it. It's called Non-Goals, and um, I, I've got, we have an MLS team in St. Paul, just like a mile from my house, so I have season tickets, so I go to a, I, I go to all the games, but already I'm like, oh, now I, I'm going to understand better what I'm seeing on the field and how to appreciate the stuff that happens between the zero to two goals that happen per 90 minutes. Yes, you just got me a, a stocking stuffer idea for my husband. and he's <laughs> There you go. He coaches my fourth grader, so this will be great. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true that people think that the exciting thing about soccer is the goals, but then they don't always happen very often. I remember, so my high school, we had a football team, but it was kind of a new program. So homecoming weekend was all about soccer games. Oh. Hmm. And so I remember like, I think it was like 10th, 11th grade, me and my friends were like, we're going to go to a game, you know, like we're going to do the homecoming thing. We're going to go to a homecoming soccer game. And I was remember just sitting there being like, they're just running around. They've been <laughs> running around for 45 minutes. And now they're going to run for another 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So interesting to me that someone who knows about the game and stuff can kind of put into words what all of that means and to get excited about the sport as a whole. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, at the high school level, it might just be running around for 45 minutes. They might not have <laughs> a lot of set pieces. That's and fair. Not set pieces, but interesting things going on. So, yeah. And it was cold. I was like, (laughs) I'm cold, and we were watching people run around. (laughs) That's why we never did that again. Sorry, soccer Um, team. (laughs) Funnily enough, I actually brought three books as well. You might have been on the same wavelength. I am a music teacher now, and I've been singing all my life, but my original career was middle school history and English teacher. I have a BA in history and a master's in education, so... 
if it's not a fiction book, I definitely am interested in a lot of historical or social issues, current and past. So um, in a beautiful little bookstore in Concord, Mass., I saw this book called Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City by Andrea Elliott. It, it caught my attention right away. And just even reading a few pages in the store, I was just captivated by it. And I'm, I'm almost done. I'm like two-thirds the way through. And it's really an incredible story. And, and it's written so, so incredibly um, you really just can follow along with this whole journey of this family. So that is what I'm currently reading right now at the top of my list. And then I kind of dabble in a few things that are just ongoing, like Cast um, by Isabel Wilkerson, which I've started also. And my fiction favorite author right now is Taylor Jenkins Reid, and I've read many of her books. And right now my fiction book is Carrie Soto is back, but I am definitely finding that I am geared towards Invisible Child right now because I'm really um, anxious to, to really see how this story ends and like if there's any way to connect with it currently as well to follow along with their story. So so those are my three right now as well. Fantastic. Um, so like I'm waiting for holds to come in so I can get back on my reading for an awards committee that I'm in, but I um, started reading one of the Expanse short stories. So I talked, I think last episode about how I started watching Expanse the show with my partner. And I kept saying to him, I'm like, this one character, what's his deal? And he was like, read this short story. So it's called The Churn, which is all about this character, Amos, in the show, uh, to maybe find out a little bit more that the show isn't going to have time to touch on. So so far, I'm enjoying it, and I'm excited to find out what this man's malfunction is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so besides reading, have either of you been watching anything interesting? Um, sure, yeah. I try to catch up a lot on some shows. Like, I do have, so I have three children. My littlest is in fourth grade. So there's a lot I can't watch when she's around because a lot of the stuff isn't appropriate, <laughs> whether it's language or storyline. So um, I've actually kind of been binge watching this week, a show that has been on Netflix and I've kind of come across it a while, never really, it hadn't sparked my interest until lately because it does star Christina Applegate. It's called Dead to Me. And she's been in the news lately because she was just diagnosed with MS. So her and the show have been in the news this week for sure um, because she had to, um, they had to wrap it up after three seasons because of her illness. So I was homesick this week, and, and when my um, daughter was at school and my kids were at school, I was like, oh, I can kind of watch whatever I want, and I don't have a 10-year-old <laughs> to worry about. And so I did start watching Dead to Me, which was is much better than I, you know, I kind of skipped over it in the past when I've been looking through Netflix shows, but it's been great. It's, it's really, it's like a dark comedy. It's a mystery. There's definitely, it's funny. Um, the two main female characters are just really great, strong characters. In their 40s, which I appreciate because I'm in my 40s also. So it's really nice to see two female leads in that age range um, who look and sound great. And they're they're putting it all out there with their storylines and their acting. And then um, I really loved Ozark. I had finished that, which that was another one I wasn't expecting. I didn't know what that was about when I jumped in and was like, wow. So Ozark, I did finish Dead to Me. I'm currently watching. I still have one more season left. So those are my two my most recent shows that I've been able to watch with my kids around, sort of <laughs> around, but not around when I'm watching them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I've I kind of dip into various things from time to time. I've recently been rewatching Ted Lasso, uh, mm -hmm. kind of in anticipation of the third season. I uh, watched that for the first time in like October of 2020. I was in Seattle. I live in St. Paul, but I was in Seattle for a trial. So it was a fairly lonely time to be away from one's family, um, being sort of whatever that is, five months into the pandemic. So eating every meal in my hotel room by myself. And so mm -hmm. Ted Lasso was sort of a salve for that. I also recently, uh, there's a there's a new Blu-ray version of the movie Real Genius, which for nerds of a certain age, which that would be me, um, was a really uh, sort of major movie in sort of developing one's nerdy sense of humor. And it holds up surprisingly well. Um, you know, that era of teen comedy mostly was kind of chuck-filled with sexism and homophobia and so on and so forth. It mostly doesn't have that. And um, it's directed by Martha Coolidge, who also directed Valley Girl around the same time. And the Blu-ray has this fascinating, I'm not actually done with it, but a fascinating commentary track from her talking about sort of what she tried to put in there. Like it was it was reflecting the Caltech and MIT scene of the time, which was absolutely male-dominated. And, and it reflects that, but she talked about how she sort of tried to put in some seeds for other stuff. Anyway, I, it's really fun. It's it's uh, I, I still an enjoyable movie. Um, my wife and I are trying to catch up on what we do in the shadows, which I think is one of the funniest shows on TV. And then I'm waiting for the new the third season of Lupin, uh, which is I, I don't have a good French accent or I would give a shot no. at that. But it's a uh, Netflix France uh, series uh, about a gentleman thief who is sort of basing his current crime slash vengeance for for complicated stuff that I don't want to spoil on the thefts and the crimes performed by Arsène Lupin, a fictional historical thief. I think fictional. Yes, a fictional historical thief. Anyway, uh, the star of that guy named Omar Sy is incredibly hard to take your eyes off of. And uh, and it's it's funny and fast and um, really, really interesting. Cool. Oh, and I second Ted Lasso also. I forgot about that one. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, in terms of things I've been enjoying besides books, um, like I said, I'm watching The Expanse, which I already talked a bit about in a previous episode, but I wanted to talk about a podcast that I've only listened to the pilot so far. I think it's something that I'm going to enjoy, and I think it's something that our audience will enjoy because it is book-related. It's called If Books Could Kill. The first book they did was Freakonomics, and the whole point of the show is to take a look at fairly recent kind of airport books that ended up really circulating and popularizing a lot of misinformation mm -hmm. um, and a lot of basically just like bad ideas, like socially. Um, and so it was really interesting to listen to the Freakonomics episode because a lot of the things that were in that book were things that were kind of like talked about and regurgitated socially a lot even though they were based in bad data analysis. Well, that's, I mean, that's going to tie right in with this, with this book I talked about, science fiction. And I never heard about this in the first place, but there was a book, I don't remember the name of it, that was all about like power poses and about if you like stood in a particularly powerful way, you'd be a better negotiator and so on and so forth. And it was all based on this very interesting psychological study. And the first, I don't know, chapter introduction of this book is all about a bunch of different psychological studies that others tried to replicate and couldn't. And that a lot of the times when you get those interesting results, it's through something called p-hacking, which is basically where you kind of pull apart the data and find something that hits that statistical significance and say, look, I found this cool thing. And in fact, if you go at it by way of p-hacking, you probably didn't find a cool thing. And I mean, it sounds like 
that person probably could talk to Stuart Ritchie. It's the same idea, right? And that's one of the big problems with Freakonomics. Yeah, uh, even though they didn't talk about p-hacking, they've talked about p-hacking on maintenance phase. For, so just like another plug for maintenance phase, I've talked about this podcast a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I've never heard of it. I, I'm oh, it's it. fantastic. Um, it is Michael Hobbs and Aubrey Gordon, who is known online as Your Fat Friend. They talk cool. about um, wellness, diet culture, and basically like tear it apart and and talk about how there is like we're still learning a lot about nutrition science there's still a lot that we don't know about nutrition science despite the fact that there are a lot of people out there in the world who will tell you that they know about nutrition and nutrition science and that they have the answer um and so they talked about p-hacking on that show before they didn't bring it up talking about freakonomics but freakonomics i think is like p-hacking the book um (laughs) From what I understand, I've read parts of it. I couldn't get through it. Just, I don't know. I personally didn't think it was interesting. The person I was dating at the time was like, oh my God, this book is so interesting and good. Might be a red flag. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say in hindsight, um, not in that relationship anymore. Um, So it was, it was interesting to hear them talk about it. Um, Like one of the examples I can talk about on the show is he talks about how the author of Freakonomics makes this false comparison between people who don't want their children to go play at homes where the other children's parents have guns versus like he says, like that same parent would let their child go play at someone's house who has a swimming pool. And there's all this data that a swimming pool is way more deadly for children than gun violence and they did a great job on if books could kill breaking down that argument and being like yeah. okay but you're taking you like you're comparing apples and oranges here mm-hmm. when you're talking about these two things so it was really interesting and like i said i'm excited to listen to some more episodes of probably of other books that i haven't read that is going to be an hour convincing <laughs> me not to waste my time reading them right. uh which that's still, uh, you're, you're coming out ahead yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah time saving and we'll return to the show after a quick break. Do you love reading but miss chatting with people about what you've read? Why not join our book group? There are a variety of meetings happening every month, including the graphic novel book group, cookbook club, the nonfiction book group, hidden in the stacks, YA for adults, and reading in the hall book group. For more information and to register, visit cranstonlibrary.org slash book dash groups or contact the Central Library Reference Desk at central at cranstonlibrary.org. Unleash your inner child and join us at the Auburn Branch every Friday at 4 p.m. for Color and Calm. There will be coloring books, mandalas, colored pencils and markers, as well as herbal and decaf teas and soothing music. No registration required. Decompress and head into the weekend refreshed. For questions, email auburn at cranstonlibrary.org. And uh, speaking of time, I want us to have enough time to talk about what you both came here to talk about. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Um, Bill, can you start out by telling our listeners about your show, Spare the Rock, and kind of what that's about and how you came up with the idea for that show? Yeah, so uh, for 17 plus years now, which is wild to say out loud, 
Um, I've been doing this radio show called Spare the Rock, Spoil the Child. It's uh, sort of our tagline is that it's indie music for indie kids. And I started it when we lived in a little town in Western Massachusetts, Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, I was a law professor at the time and looking for something to do with the community. My kids, who are now in graduate school and college, were little. They were six and three or something like that. And um, we had moved up there from the Washington, D.C. area. And there I had, at, when we started having kids, music has been a big part of my life for a long time. We're doing this by by video, and you can see the wall of CDs behind mm -hmm. me. Um, and I had done a radio show in college. Anyway, so when my kids were little, we listened, listened to a lot of music and started to learn about some of the people doing interesting uh, music for families. And there was a New York Times Magazine cover story. I always mean to go back and figure out when it was, but it must have been 2000 or 2001 about Dan Zanes. And I knew of the Del Fuegos, which is the band he used to be in. I was frankly not a, the biggest Del Fuegos fan. I don't think I've ever told Dan that. But um, that was like, this sounds interesting. He's bringing sort of music from all different genres from all over the world and, and people from uh, a wide range of musical backgrounds in. So I ordered that. And uh, this is in the very early days of Amazon. And it said, you know, people like this also like Justin Roberts. And Justin was in a band that I used to see in the bars in Minneapolis called Pimentos for Gus. So I was like, oh, I'll try that too. Um, and sort of from there, sort of added on and, and got more and more stuff. And so I saw that this little community, little uh, low-power FM station was starting up in, in Northampton looking for programmers. And I thought, oh, well, that would be a fun thing to do, to do a radio show, and maybe my kids would want to do it also. Um, and uh, came up with a very silly name, Spare the Rocks, Blow the Child, which every so often people are like, wait, do you mean that you punish your children with music? I do not mean that. Do you mean that you hit your kids with rocks? I do not mean that. <laughs> oh it's God. just a joke. It just means that I, I'm just jokingly saying that if you don't play rock music around your kids, they'll be spoiled. And I don't even really believe that. But um, uh, anyway, so so from the from the get go, um, and Stacey is a really good example of this. The the goal was to highlight interesting independent music that's made for kids, and then a small portion, maybe a third of the show, is typically music that's not made for kids that is kid appropriate. Um, the idea has always been to sort of raise a generation of radio nerds, raise a generation of music nerds, so that as people age out of the show, they will have already heard uh, Throwing Muses or De La Soul or whatever I play sort of next to the other stuff, and to sort of have it be uh, a ladder or a bridge into what I think of as, as particularly interesting and diverse uh, music as they get older. So it's syndicated now. We moved to Austin and then up to Minnesota. Flagship station is KUTX 98.9 in Austin, which is a non-commercial uh, station, sibling station to the NPR station there. Um, and they're around about, I don't know, 10 or 12 stations around the country. Also a record label connected with that we could talk about as well. But I will stop talking for a little bit so we can hear about Stacy's super interesting career. <laughs> Um, yeah. So Stacey, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into making children's music and performing for children? Sure. Thank you. Well, Bill, I didn't know the history of that, that I learned something new during this. So that's wonderful. So I, um, like I said earlier, I was, um, my official career was teacher, social studies and English teacher by day. Um, but I did start singing in bands when I was 18 years old, playing out in like bars and clubs and weddings and that whole scene. So from like age 18 all through college, and then once I graduated college, I was a teacher by day and singing in bands at night on the weekends, which was a lot of fun when you're in your 20s. It was great. And I had all my teacher friends come down to all my gigs, and um, it was wonderful. And then I got married, and I had my first child. And I was no longer teaching. I was staying home with my daughter, who is now 17, which is hard to believe. And I was still singing in those club and wedding and bar bands. And I realized with a 
child that was like an infant slash toddler that really wasn't a great schedule. <laughs> it was a lot of late nights and early mornings. And so then I kind of put it all to rest and just focused on being a mom. And just by doing my daily activities as a mom with my children, then my second child came along, my son, two years later, I started just singing and making up songs as, as many parents do when they're in the bathtub or you're, you know, taking them out for a walk. So then I just really for them thought, oh, maybe I'll, I'll make some of these songs into an actual recording for them to have. And I ended up working with a guy who was in my adult club band and he had never had any, any um, connection with children's music. He was a piano player and a producer and engineer and so we came up with this little batch of like five songs, my first five songs that I wrote. And I realized, wow, making a record's really expensive. I didn't know that. That was always a live performer. I really just had, really didn't have before that an interest in being a recording artist. For some reason, I just played out. I love playing out and being with people and with crowds. And, and so then to sort of fund my children's record, which was only five songs at the time, I started playing birthday parties, believe it or not. Like my friends would say, because I had all these friends with all these little kids. I'm like, will you, because you can sing, will you play my son's birthday party or my daughter's birthday party? And I didn't even play guitar back then. And I was like, sure. So I hired a guitar player. And we started to do these parties and I had to learn all the classics. You know, we started with wheels on the bus and that whole thing. <laughs> I didn't know, kind of like Bill originally, that there was this whole community out there of, of kids artists. And then that led to, oh, my son's preschool needs a music teacher. Would you, do you want me to put you in touch with them? And then I would take my kids to a music class and a girlfriend of mine would be like, oh, I can't stand this teacher. I'd rather you teach the class. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I really said yes to everything. And that's kind of my personality. Like, I really just, why not, you know, try things you haven't tried. And I, I don't really, not say I don't have a fear of failure, but I, I feel like you don't know what's going to happen until you just give it a shot. So I learned how to play guitar and started booking shows and classes. And then it sort of just spiraled. And then I paid for my five song album. And I went online and I found, oh, spare the rock, spoil the child. <laughs> what is that? So then I went on their website and I sent Bill. I always think this is so funny. I sent Bill. I had clip art from my computer and I put my five songs on a CD. And at that point, the only original um, instrument was piano because that was the instrument that my producer played. Everything else was just computer generated. So I'd send it into Bill and, you know, I had never heard back from you, Bill, regarding that first. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but who would have known a few years later, or maybe not even a few, Bill would put together this amazing um, conference called Kindy Fest. Yep. And in 2010, I attended Kindy Fest all by myself, not knowing anybody. And at that point, had found some of these kids artists online, like Bill was saying, Justin Roberts and Recess Monkey. And I became such a big fan of all these artists because I had kids that age and Gustafer Yellowgold. Mm -hmm. And so then I went to this kids conference that I found online and I met Marty Beller, who is um, the drummer of They Might Be Giants. And he was on a panel and he said he was looking for acts to work with and produce. So... I approached him at the conference and I sent him my little five song and he said, these are great, but you need live instruments. I said, yes. He was so right he, about that. He was right about <laughs> that. So he ended up, um, we took, I took that five song album, made it into a 10 song album and he played drums on the whole record. He went on to produce my next two albums called Lucky Day Music and RSVP. And then he worked with 
um, a lot of songs on my most recent album called Make It Happen. But then I did start to work with more people in Boston where I live. So now I'm like four or five albums in, lots of singles. I work almost every day in a school or daycare or library. Um, I perform with a band, we do concerts, and it really has just developed into the most amazing, unexpected career for me. And, and it's great as a mom, I make my own hours, and now I'm almost 15 years in, and I, I really am comfortable. You know, I didn't say no a lot at the beginning, I said yes to everything, which, you know, was okay, and now I definitely am uh, budgeting my time better, and, and uh, you know, my kids are getting bigger, so I want to be there for them as they as they grow up and, and are going to be, my oldest will be a freshman in college next year. So that's that's how I started and, and what I do, and I definitely thank Bill for for unknowingly helping me step into this. I mean, that, was, that was the whole idea of Kendi Fest, was to, <laughs> to make those connections. I, I, I'm sorry to take away from, you're the interviewer, but let me, what do your kids think of your music career now? Because I'm curious about how they relate to it. Oh, well, what's funny right now, so I started a TikTok channel for my music. I don't, I'm not really active on it, but I do a few little things here and there, but my kids' music TikTok will come up on my daughter's friend's TikTok channel. <laughs> so what funny. she thinks of it right now, she'll come home and she'll say, Brady showed me you're on his TikTok feed, you know, and I, <laughs> which is slightly embarrassing for her at 17 years old to have, I guess, your friend's mom, you know, put, come up on the TikTok feed, but it's all tied into who your connections are, I guess. Right. So that's kind of funny right now. Um, I think my littlest is definitely my most into music. I, she, you know, they used to come with me to my shows and help out sometimes selling merchandise and taking pictures and coming with their friends. So it was, it was you know, it's gone through a lot of different phases. So right now, you know, I think they think it's cool that I'm that I do music for a living and I'm sort of my own boss, which my littlest ten year old daughter loves. Especially because my band is is all guys. And one time she was like, "You're the boss of all the guys, right?" And I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> "I am." You know, so I think there's sort of subliminal messages that that you take from all this, whether it's being a business owner. And, you know, the highs and lows, there's some things, you know, sometimes my music gets played in certain places that I'm excited about. And sometimes it doesn't, even though I've tried to get it to break through. And I think it's important for, for kids, too, to see the successes. And I hate to call it failures because I don't view it as a failure, but the struggles. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a lot of different pieces of it that I think have they've sort of seen besides just the music piece of it. So that I think is kind of cool. Definitely. So uh, this is a question for both of you. I feel like kids' music can sometimes get a bad rap. You know, like kids love it, but parents hate it. Um, looking at you, Baby Shark. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, from the starting of my, like, work with in as a youth services librarian, I was like, no Baby Shark. That's my one rule. I'll do wheels on the bus. I'll do, I'll do all kinds of stuff. I will be up there looking like an idiot so that the kids are having fun, but no baby shark. But so, sorry, I got a little off on my dislike of baby shark. Um, but, you know, it, it's frequently a thing of, you know, kids love it, but parents are like, if I have to hear it one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. So what do you want to say to our listeners to kind of counteract that bad rap that kid music can have sometimes? Hey, Bill, you go first. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit. Almost any kind of kids music you want is out there somewhere. And um, to some extent, I, I used to, to sort of be firmly in that in that like kind of looking down at the baby shark camp. And I'm never playing baby shark on the radio. Don't go, don't get me wrong. <laughs> on the other hand, I'm like, you know, they're kids for, for X period of time. If they enjoy it and it's not 
like breaking them. <laughs> What's wrong here? Um, so, I mean, a lot of times that conversation, and I think this will tie in nicely with the with the library, comes from a place of I don't like Baby Shark, and so I'm just going to listen to to my normal what I usually listen to with my kids. My kids love the Beatles. My kids love Beach Boys. I mean, whatever. Sweet, that's awesome. Beatles, Beach Boys are great. But um, my very strong view is that children should have music that is intended for them in the same way that they should have books that are intended for them in the same way that they should have movies that's intended for them. That doesn't mean that all of the movies that are made for kids or, or books that are made for kids for that matter are great. But the fact that you don't like a particular genre for of, of kids media doesn't mean that the whole genre is bad, which is sort of an, a, so obvious to be kind of a truism. Um, the other thing I would say, well, that it, over the last, let's say 20 years, the um the scope of music that is broadly available for kids has diversified a lot. I don't want to suggest that there wasn't diverse kids music available more than 20 years ago, because that's not true. And it would just be erasing a lot of people, but it's broadly available much more so than it used to be. And I think that's a, a big plus. As for Baby Shark and sort of its ilk, um, actually, before I talk about that, I want to talk just for a second and put on blast Kids Bop. Because that is, in fact, a genre of kids' music that I think, and I'm really curious to hear what you think about this, Stacey. Like, I am fully perfect, happy to say that that is actually some nonsense. Because it is not, in fact, made for kids. It is made for for adults just barely alighting the stuff that in that music that is not really kid-appropriate. Um, and I actually don't think that is a healthy idea. But in terms of Baby Shark and that sort of thing, the very repetitive stuff, it, it, there's lots of really fun and smart, aggressively goofy stuff out there that is better than Baby Shark. I think about Go Banana Go. I think about uh, Todd and Tina is an act out of uh, the Minnesota or Cuckoo Kangaroo um, is a fantastically popular goofy stuff that's way smarter than that. Okay, I will stop ranting. Stacey, <laughs> I'm really, I'm super curious about your thoughts on this. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, parents want children's books, children's movies, but are so anti-children's music is just such a sore subject for me. I just... I never understood why. I think it's just lack of access, honestly. I think, you know, you can go to a bookstore and find all these beautiful books for kids or a library, not just a bookstore. Um, you know, you the movies, you have these big, powerful companies making these children's movies like Disney or whomever else. And the, the kids' music, it seems to be just such a very independent, localized sort of genre. And to really break through, like somebody like Rafi, right, Ella Jenkins, um, my my modern day of those is Lori Berkner. That's that's who came out when I and she was on TV, and I would watch these TV Nick Jr. shows, you know, with my littlest daughter. I shouldn't say my little; she was little at the time. My oldest daughter, but who was little then, and I saw Lori Berkner on TV, and I was like, literally stopped in my tracks, like, who is this person? Look what she's doing, and she's singing this music that's for kids and. She was one of my biggest, biggest influences. Um, and, you know, I bought, went out and bought her CDs. And that is completely what my daughter listened to. I mean, probably every car ride was all Lori Berkner tunes. And then it was kind of like, well, who else is out there like Lori Berkner? Where can I find these people? And it was really difficult. And I would just go on iTunes and go through, like, the children's music genre, which, you know, the charts are all commercialized, you know. But there was like, a, they might be giants thrown in there, which was great. Or um, Elizabeth Mitchell, 
but it was really hard to find this greater network of kids artists until I got in it as a performer. And then I was able to find them because they were, they became my peers. And um, I'm also part of the children's music network, which is another amazing group. And I found amazing people making quality music for kids in every genre. Like Bill said, I mean, if you want hip hop for kids, if you want jazz, if you want folk, if any genre you, you choose to listen to as a listener, say for adult music, you can find as a kid and it's quality lyrics, it's age appropriate lyrics. It's about topics that they can relate to. Um, and kids bop is funny because that's what my daughter does love. She's 10 years old and kid bop, kids bop was almost like this safe, easy thing to throw on that you knew like, okay, as much as I wasn't into it, but if she's with a carload of her friends, if I'm driving them around to soccer practice and she put on Kids Bop and they all knew these songs, maybe because their parents listen to them or they hear them somewhere, but now at least they could hear it with like age appropriate lyrics and no swearing. Fair Sort of, totally. And so I don't love no, it. No, no, no judgment, yeah. just so it's clear. Yeah. I understand how you end up with that yeah. sort of thing. I just, but it's no funny because with my older kids, kids, my older two, <laughs> five and seven year age gap between them, with my older two, all we listened to was all of these amazing artists that I knew because I was a performer. Justin Roberts, Gustav for Yellow Gold, Joni Leeds. Um, oh gosh, the list goes on and on. So many. And I, and I always felt my kids were smarter. Does that sound terrible? I'm like, my kids are smart because they listen to these artists. Because they're not listening <laughs> to music. Like, my son and I, you know, I remember bonding with him over these Gustafer Yellow Gold songs, and they were so unique and kind of out there and, and original. And I always felt like my kids were better off for, for being exposed to these kids' artists who are making music for kids. It was great music. It was smart. It was age-appropriate lyrics, topics and themes they could relate to. And... Um, but you know, my third kid, I did slide a little, so she got she got a little more kids bop. <laughs> you know the thing I would say, and, and again, especially two of the artists you mentioned, Gustafer Yellowgold and, and Justin. Gustafer has been on on I'm sure Stacy's mind and mind a lot because the creator of it, Morgan Taylor, passed away suddenly earlier this year. So um, really, really, just the memorial service, uh, the music related one was on Halloween, so we were up in the Hudson Valley for that. Um, but both of them do something that that. Taylor, I suspect you have some examples from children's literature, which is not just talk about the happy stuff, like a really common and in retrospect, uh, almost um, telling theme in, in Morgan's music for Gustafer was like, what happens next? You know, when when my day is done, I'll go on. It, it, Gustafer Yellowgold is a creature that came from the sun, landed in northern Minnesota. But a lot of it is about mortality. And and Justin has a song about divorce and, and about a, a, like a lot of stuff. That is fairly heavy, and it is aimed exactly right. And I think about it, you know, Phantom Tollbooth is, is one of my favorite books that I feel like kind of does that same sort of melancholy remarkably well in a, in a way that kids can um, relate to. And I think it's it's just incredibly powerful. And there's a reason that grownups love sad songs and love music as a way to sort of uh, relate to their emotions. And I think, um, like, I love kids artists that do nothing but happy things too, but I think there's something special when when you can do that stuff well. You know, I, I talked about having a label, I think from time to time about trying to do, they've all been benefit albums. Um, and I think about trying to do one related to mental health in some way. And I think there's like a thousand ways to do that terribly and like one way to do it not terribly, which is why I've not done it. But if Justin or Morgan or, or, or Stacey or any number of other people sit down to think about how to do something about sort of the depth of emotion and sadness and grief. I mean, like, I think my, my dad died when my daughter, my daughter was 
10 and my son was seven. And there was there's not a lot of music about like what to do when your grandfather dies. Um, and anytime somebody sits down to do that, God, it's it's easy to do that really badly. <laughs> and so Yeah, sometimes as a parent, the first thing you do think about in a situation like that is finding a book about it, more yeah, more than sure. turning to music, you know. Um and it, it would be amazing to to touch upon these subjects. Like you said, you have to, you know, do it well. Um, but I agree. I think, you know, there's a lot of happiness in kids' music, which is great, which I love. And most of my songs are happy. <laughs> Although I do have a song called Boo Boo on my latest album about getting a boo boo. You know, it happens. <laughs> but I, yeah, I do think those those deeper, more emotional subjects are, are just as important. And, and kids really resonate with them. So I know, Stacey, you have to scoot out. Do you have time to just uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet if they want to find out more about your music, if they want to hire you? Sure, sure. (laughs) I'm not too far from Cranston. I'm in Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. Um, So my website is www.stacypeasley.com. And I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram I'm under the Stacey Peasley Band, and all my music is on all the platforms, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, everywhere that everybody's listening these days. And um, yeah, I would love to, I would love to come to Rhode Island. So maybe we could, I haven't been, I've been only a few times. I haven't been to Rhode Island as much um, performing, but I would love to come to Rhode Island and um, perform and hope to see, to meet you in person and maybe see some, some awesome Rhode Islanders. I'm trying to remember, you played The Meltdown, and I was trying to remember, yes. which is a, a book and music festival that uh, Jarrett J. Krasowska and I do out in Western Massachusetts. Did your kids come with you out to that? I was trying to remember if I met them or not. They are, yeah. I think I met a kid at Kindy Fest, maybe. My kids, so they've never been with me, sadly, for The Meltdown. So I was okay. lucky enough to play The Meltdown a few times. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never, only because, like, you know, I was. we always kind of traveled out there as a band with all yeah. the equipment and everything. So I never brought them... It was a good like hour and a half or two, almost two hours yep, from two hours out there from Boston. Yeah. And I didn't bring them to Kindy Fest. So I so I have not met your kids. Either. Okay. For some reason, no, uh, those were kind of my solo trips, which was kind of nice. Okay. I mean, to yeah. go to Brooklyn for all those Kindy Coms was amazing. I felt like it was like a weekend of just music yeah. and community, and it was great. So thank you for all those years. Yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to Bye. see you, Stacey. You too. Bye. It was so nice meeting you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's kind of funny because I actually am going to go pick up my daughter now too, but she's at the airport. She can wait. She's she's 23. (laughs) She can sit around at the baggage claim for a little bit. So if you want to talk about where people can find out more about Spare the Rock, Spoil the Child and the other endeavors you're doing. Yeah, sure. So you can uh, go to SpareTheRock.com to find out more about the radio show. You can stream the shows there. It's distributed by PRX. So there's just, you can stream it right on demand from that website. And you can click on label there to find out about the four releases. The first one is called Many Hands, which is benefit uh, for the Haitian People Support Project after the Haitian earthquake. That's raised like $200,000 for them. Wow. Second one was a Woody Guthrie uh, uh, tribute that was digital only, benefit for the Woody Guthrie Foundation. Third one was called Science Fair. Um, that is kind of secretly my favorite of the four. That was a uh, benefit themed around and benefiting girls' science education, benefiting girls, Inc. It has like Mates of State covering Guided by Voices. It has a song from one of my favorite bands from the uh, 80s and 90s called Baby Blue Ox. Um, Elizabeth Mitchell has a great song in there. It's just, it's just, I think it's super fun. And then the most recent one was called Let All the Children Boogie. It came out just about exactly six years ago. It is a David Bowie tribute album and that benefits. Uh, It Gets Better and their work for LGBTQ youth. 
And uh, that was like $30,000 for them. Um, and that That's one it. is also awesome. Rhett Miller's on there. Antibalos is on there. Um, uh, a couple of people from the Mekons. It, it, doing these albums, and, and I book a bunch of shows, especially during South by Southwest, and it's like doing fantasy football for music. Like I get to invite <laughs> like Ted Leo and suddenly, and he responds and says, yes, I would like to do that. Like, come on, how, is, how does that even work? Um, and uh, and, it, and it's super fun. So all of that stuff at SpareTheRock.com. We're on the social networks, all at SpareTheRock. All right, fantastic. Um, so yeah, if you're looking to buy some music and have it benefit charity, check that out. Well, let me actually plug that in. If you're, if you want to listen, like go and listen to Stacey's stuff, but buy it. Like don't, don't stream it. Come on. These people are working hard. Go click and buy the MP3s. Come on. Anyway, sorry. I'm old and crazy about that. That... It's fine to stream it. I just, I, I, but buying it is better still. But I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I pay for Spotify. That should mean that they're paying artists, right? They are a little bit. Okay. Okay. That makes Fair me enough. feel a little better. Um, but yeah, we probably could go in a whole thing about streaming music we and our yes. artists and all that. But we have the last chapter to get to, which is our ending segment for the show, um, where I ask a library of bookish related question. So I thought I would ask today, um, who would you dreamcast for your favorite book if it was going to be like a TV show or a movie? Yeah, so it's um, I'm the one that immediately comes to mind, which is not my favorite book, probably, nor is it the last one I read, but is The Phantom Tollbooth, just since we just mentioned that. But now I'm trying to think about who that would be, sort of the, the for Milo, right? The the sort of melancholy um, guy, a kid who ends up finding joy. I mean, it almost feels like maybe a Timothy Chalamet, or have you say his name? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I think maybe in that neighborhood somewhere. But I, I assume you know Phantom Tollbooth. I don't think there's a library. Um, I know, know well, I know of Phantom Tollbooth just because it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're breaking my heart here, Taylor. It's another librarian <laughs> who works with us favorite book. It is so great. It is, it, it is um, I guess it's sort of the, the younger book version of, the, of Real Genius in some way, in that like so many nerds I know of my age, that was sort of a touch point for them because it is all allegory, all metaphor. And reading it again when you're an adult, you're like, oh, this is kind of heavy handed. But when you're a kid, you're like, ooh, I get that. I get what he's in- indicating that. And it's weird, weird as hell, which is really like, again, when you're a, a, a kid, this is a lot of how I end up programming the radio show, is finding the weird music and, and um, like, you know, the radio show is any music for any kids. I could also just call it like weird music for weird kids because that secretly is sort of my target <laughs> audience is the people who are going to grow up to be weird. Um, and uh, man, I it'll take you like four hours to read that book. I, I, I plead with, and there's a wonderful annotated version of it actually too. So um, anyway, so I'm going to say Timothy Chalamet and in, in Tolbooth. I think Timothy Chalamet does have like some sad boy vibes. Oh, he's nothing but sad boy vibes. <laughs> <laughs> he is constructed of bad boy, sad boy vibes. <laughs> Um, now I just I just saw the, the preview for I, I just saw the preview for his new book or his new movie, which is like a cannibalism movie. Um, I think my oh, wife and him? son are going to go see that tomorrow. Yes, oh <laughs> I didn't God. either until. But my my wife mentioned and told me who I was like, oh my God! I'm like, I have not seen that movie, but I think uh, my son's coming home from college tomorrow, and I think they're going to go see it tomorrow night. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Well, I was just going to say I asked this question, and now I don't know. I've just suddenly forgot all like actors and like, I don't even know the answer to my own question. Cause I just, I talked about it in the show. I just finished the Sunbearer trials by Aiden Thomas. Um, uh, he is kind of an up and coming YA author. 
Um, he uh-huh. wrote Cemetery Boys last year, two years ago, which was fantastic kind of urban fantasy uh, with a um, trans boy, trans man at the center of it. And the second book, Sun Bear Trial, is also has trans main character at the center uh-huh. of it. But um, is really into like the it I feel like it's like Hunger Games meets Percy Jackson yeah I feel like there's probably another one really good. Yeah, it, yeah it yeah. was really good and I like I I think I kind of the whole way through kind of pictured the author because I know from his author photo kind of pictured him as the main character but uh-huh. I don't think he's an actor or ha- like he's not an actor or has any plans of acting anytime soon. I will say his best friend, and this is again, not me casting an actual actor that could be in this, but his best friend is this very strong young woman. Um, and I was just imagining uh, from Encanto, the the middle sister who was like very mm-hmm. strong and and had the whole song about like, emotionally and physically supporting the whole family and not letting them down and i was that imagining her as his best friend through the whole book when i was i have some bad news about her though in that she is animated yes and that would make it difficult okay (laughs) maybe this maybe the sun bear tribe maybe it could be an animated movie and and, and literally cast the character from encanto which would be very funny (laughs) call up disney and be like can we please use your character design We'll put different clothes on her. We promise. Yeah, totally different. Nobody will, nobody will recognize her. That would be great. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so thank you. Uh, thank you, Taylor. For joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like to answer our last chapter question or suggest a last chapter question of your own, you can email us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And now you can reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Nomi Hay, Robin Nazio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. It was fun. Good luck with that, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Listening, I'm like, ooh, that's going to be a tough edit. Ooh, that'll be a fun edit. Ooh, ooh.